Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful Lower Downtown, Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, it snowed uh, today, although all the snow is gone, it looks like. Um, and But the dairy block's open. Restrictions have been eased. If you want to go down for safe, socially distant uh, wine consumption, go down to the dairy block in a very beautiful area and just have yourself some wine. Or you could go to bfwdenver.com and get yourself a bottle of the 2017 Cabernet, which is my personal favorite. Um, or you can get some Pinot. You could get some uh, of the blends they got down there, a Syrah. They got partnerships with Western Slope wineries. Uh, it's called Restoration and Storm Cellars, which specialize in uh, Rieslings. Basically, they got anything you want. Local Colorado business that really needs your support. Uh, they'll go to bfwdenver.com to book your, yourself a virtual wine tasting, which are insanely popular. Go there now while they still last. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com to pick up your virtual wine tasting or pick yourself up a bottle for delivery, curbside pickup, or shipment. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Joining me today uh, is my friend, uh, someone I, I miss on the Nuggets beat, but a man who's killing it on the Broncos beat for, for the athletic. It is Nick Cosminder, or Miter, sorry. <laughs> Hi, Nick. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I can see that uh, all this time apart, you, you've really been able to master, uh, master the last name there. Yeah, right. I, 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 for, for whatever reason, years ago, I said I put an N in, in Nick's name. And I, I, it must have, it might, I must have had it been like had, had a stroke or something like that. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, cause minder is, is, is sort of, um, mild compared to some of the uh, some of the mispronunciations uh, I had growing up um, you know being a, a little kid and you go into class and this you know your kindergarten or first grade teacher looks at the roster and it's just like <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to say that so they so they'll tend to like say it like sort of for you like they'll they'll say it slow hoping you'll fill in the gap like Nick and then but I would usually just like let's see let's see what you do let's see how you handle this so but now Cosminder is, uh, is pretty tight. I, I don't know why I don't know why I put an N in it, but I but someone once misspelled my name, so I, I anything can happen. So uh, that they, they usually I went to a like long story short I went to a studio to record a demo for an album, 
And uh, the guy who was running a studio, the friend of mine, his last name is, uh, who I recorded the demo with, his last name is Habenstreit. Got it perfect. Perfect. Really? And then, he's, then I, he said, what's your name? Last name, Morton. I'm like, good. And then I got, and then we got the copy of the demo uh, reel and it misspelled my name. It was M-O-T-O-N. I was like, how on earth do you spell Habenstreit right and get Morton wrong? It's the easiest name to spell on the earth. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, up there ensconced in Arvada, um, you are uh, covering the Denver Broncos. But as I pointed out before we started this, I've known Nick from the Nuggets beat off and on for uh, four years. Um, do you miss covering the Nuggets? Yeah, I mean, I, basketball has always sort of been like my passion. I, I'm having like a, a lot of fun with this Broncos team. I think it's in, an, in a really interesting place right now. Um, even though you say oh, five years without the playoffs, four straight losing records. Uh, what's so interesting? This seems like the same thing every offseason. Um, but but George Payton is the new general manager. It's it's fresh blood. John always not calling the shots anymore. And, and I think it's, um, you know, it makes it for an interesting and important time in the franchise. But you know, you look over and you see what the Nuggets are, are doing, um, what they've continued to do. And uh, yeah, there, there's just so many great, great stories. And it's, which is why I've, I found myself whenever, whenever my, the time or mental energy allows, uh, still trying to, um, you know, write stories about the Nuggets when, you know, when time grants me, obviously been watching along closely. And um, it's been a fascinating, a fascinating year, particularly, uh, after that slow start and thinking, man, this team just has sort of that, that bubble hangover, which we knew some teams were going to have. Uh, it seemed to hit the Nuggets hard, which was ironic given that the Nikola Jokic, who, who I thought maybe would be the one player, not the one player, but maybe a player that I thought, look, this is a guy who is routine oriented about his off seasons, loves right. to go home and really kind of decompress. I thought that Nikola Jokic might become, you know, sort of victim of the shortened off season as much as any other player. And instead it was the total opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was ironic that he came more prepared than anybody to start the season and right. not everybody followed along with him. But it, I, it, it seems now, especially after the, the trade of Aaron Gordon, that it, this is, sort of seems like the place uh, that we thought we would see them in, um, you know, kind of the way that they're playing right now. Well, look, I mean, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, Nick, but suddenly they go to the Western Conference Finals and are like get a major trade with Aaron Gordon after you go off the beat. I don't know <laughs> if it's a uh, like it's I'm so so drawing draw any inferences here, but, uh, you know, it, it's just I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> they, yeah. Draw, draw away, man. I, I think I was, you know, I'll, so the, the very first, you know, I I started in you know, journalism, I went to Arizona State, I graduated in 2000, December of 2010. So my first job was was a like kind of a paid internship with MLB.com. Um, you know, it's a cool internship they do every year where uh, they give uh, you know, 30, 30 writers across the country get hired to help cover one of the major league baseball teams. Right. Um, you know, you, when you get selected, you turn in a list of like three places you'd like to go. And, and Colorado was number one for me and was fortunate enough to, to get to go cover the Rockies in 2011. Um, but so, so, so I covered that. I went to, I went to Texas tech or I went to Lubbock to cover Texas tech for a couple of years and then came back in 2013 and was working at the post on like kind of the production desk for about three years. So all that long kind of history is to say that I first became kind of like a full-time beat writer at or a full-time writer at the post in 2016. 
And my first assignment was to help Patrick Saunders cover the Rockies, um, you know, given that that had kind of been my experience. And when I, when I came on to the beat, they had, um, they had been on this run to where they pulled within like, I want to say two, two and a half games of a wild card spot. And this, this, so they they were on this like crazy run and people were thinking, Hey, this is August. Like there's time that they're going to, they're going to do this. And I think, from the time that I started covering the team to the end of the 2016 season, they fell like, I, I think they were probably 10 to 12 games under 500 during that stretching. And of course missed the playoffs by a mile that year. And what only so that they could go on a couple of years later to make back-to-back playoff runs. Right. And, you know, so, so that, you know, that's always kind of been my, my thing is, is I've covered a lot of uh, covered a lot of losing teams in, in my time. And there's look, there's, there's fun stories to be had when teams are losing. And, and, and certainly the same is true when they're winning. It's just kind of different ways that you go about, um, you know, covering those things. Well, I mean, do you draw any parallels between uh, the way the Broncos are right now and the nuggets of say 2015 to 2018 or so, do you see any parallels with the way they're building or, or do you see kind of like, well, it's hard to draw a correlation between the NFL and NBA because they're so different, but you know, do you yeah, see any it, it is, similarities? I, well, I think what you have to have in both instances is, is a star emerge, um, you know, especially a star emerge, kind of a homegrown drafted star emerge. Cause those are the players. If they can lead your team on a rookie contract or, or start building up your team on a rookie contract, right. that's how you start to see those things build with football. That almost always has to be the quarterback, you know, uh, obviously in the, in the NBA that can come at any position. You can have a, you know, you can have a guard, you can have a point guard, a shooting guard. You could have a, you know, a wing player or in Nicole just case a center that it does, it can be, it come, come from anywhere football it really has to kind of be the quarterback and so I think until until the Broncos can see that out of that position it's hard to draw a true parallel that says hey they're also on that climb Um, but I I tweeted this out the other day I do see similarities quite a bit between George Payton and Tim Connolly uh, just in terms of their kind of overarching plan of really building through the draft understanding what they are as a market um, you know, uh, really wanting to have a collaborative effort within the front office. That, that's what George Payton has signaled from day one. And, and, and you know very well that Tim right. has been that same way uh, ever since he got to, to Denver, or ever since he took the job in 2013, he's been a, a collaborative type of guy. And so I, I, I see some of those similarities, but until the Broncos can, you know, get something in at the quarterback position that represents stability, represents consistent, just even slightly above average performance, uh, it's going to be hard to sort of see that that trajectory until that happens, in my opinion. Well, I, I, I kind of you're leading me into a subject I wanted to cover. Um, maybe it's my own personal philosophy based on the fact that I've I'm a basketball first fan, but when I look at the Broncos, um, I see this obsession with getting competition for Drew Locke, which is fine, but I don't know if you can't get that guy. The, the constant need to find that guy, I guess, is unless you get a Peyton Manning like they did in 2012, um, trading for, say, I don't know, a Sam Darnold, that seems kind of like a parallel move and doesn't necessarily set you on a northward course. And uh, if I was the Broncos, I, I, I would look at myself and say, I just didn't lose enough. We had a once-in-a-lifetime draft with Trevor Lawrence at the top, and we just did not lose enough to really justify uh, getting a, a franchise-changing quarterback. Why make a trade to get a 
like a Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater or anything like that, like a quarterback that won't necessarily make us that much better. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's what's been sort of fascinating about this. When you look at, when you look at what they've done in free agency right now, as it stands currently here on uh, March 30th on paper, the Broncos should have a top five, top 10 defense next season. Right. I mean, injuries are always sort of the fly in the ointment they were last year, but they are set up to have a defense that is good enough to, to, to get them to the playoffs. Um, and especially with a coach in Vic Fangio, like if you want to help him win, that's what you build. You, you build a defense that he can maneuver to, you know, sort of in his style and, and really create, um, you know, create really playmaking opportunities on that side of the football. But in order for that to be properly balanced, you have to have an offense that is going to, at the very least, be efficient with the football and take care of the football. Two things they did not do last year in any kind of way. And so to me, that, that's really where it comes down to is, is what's interesting for this season is they have built a scenario in which they should be able to win, right? And, and, and that's what I think makes this quarterback thing so interesting is that you can sit here and say, hey, you're at number nine, you know, do what it takes to move up to number four, to number five, draft Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones, whoever it may be, because you might not have another opportunity to draft a quarterback in the top 10. Well, in that scenario, you're also almost kind of putting yourself at the mercy of how quickly this rookie can develop um, or, or how quickly he, he can push through lock and whatever the case might be. And, and so that, that's, what's made it so interesting, but I, I tend to agree with you on the, the potential of like a lateral type move, Sam Darnold to me, there's potential there and and you look at this through the prism of hey he was on a in a Jets organization for a long time that that has had a lot of dysfunction and and maybe that's the issue with him but I I think so much what's fascinating about quarterbacks so much that that I've found covering the NFL is that you kind of see what you want to see you know what I mean you look at Jimmy Garoppolo he's 22 and 8 as a starter just two years ago he helped bring the 49ers to the Super Bowl he won 13 games as a starter that year uh, you know, since 2017, he has like the fourth best completion percentage in the NFL, second most yards per attempt. I mean, you can look at these numbers and say, that's what you want. That's efficiency. Doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He's kind of middle of the pack in terms of that. But, you know, or you can see it from this different thing of like, he doesn't do exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants in that offense. Um, you know, he he did cost them that Super Bowl in, in 2020, 2019. So it just becomes this sort of like Rorschach test in a way where you just, it, it, what do you, what does that ink blot look like to you uh, on a paper? And, and that's what has made, I think, this so fascinating in the offseason because you can really talk yourself into all these different scenarios for what the Broncos try to be at quarterback. But as we sit here on March 30th, like I still, I still think there's a very good chance that the week one 2021 starters drew luck. Well, I, and that's kind of where I'm at too, because I mean, I don't see, it's not because I'm necessarily thinking Drew Locke will be a world beater or turn out to be, I has nothing to do with it, but I just don't see how exchanging assets for a quarterback who may not be better is going, unproven. Yeah, is going to re- get you to where you think you're going to get. There is a philosophy in the NFL that if you have a great defense, all you have to do is have to have an offense that doesn't make mistakes. That's it. I mean, that's the old Chicago Bears philosophy, and it served the Broncos well, mostly in 2015 when they had that great defense. But those teams tend to be only one-offs. It's hard to build a great yeah. defense because the rest of the league catches up with you real quick. 
Um, well, that, that defense was so good that they overcame the fact that Peyton Manning threw 17 interceptions right. in the regular season. So, I mean, he was Manning, Manning was, you know, there, there's always this, this talk of like, this is what they've done at quarterback since Manning retired that, that season for Manning in 2015 was as worse of, it's probably the worst quarterback play they've had since, you know, gosh, the 2010, um, right, right. you know, that, that was really bad. It's just, they won the Super Bowl, So that kind of gets, it's overlooked. <laughs> Cause that defense was that good. That good. Um, right. But but, but th- this defense is going to be good. It's not that good. So I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. There. And, and I, think, I think that's just a philosophical thing because you are right. They, they, do, they, they did really build up the defense. And uh, Pey- Peyton's from um, uh, New Orleans, not New Orleans, Minnesota. Not even the same part of the country. I don't know why. No, that. no, Peyton Manning <laughs> is from New Orleans. No, no, Peyton not Manning. Manning's... Peyton, George Peyton. George from... Peyton, got yes. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota came from Minnesota and their philosophy has basically been, let's make a good defense and just have a just okay quarterback. Um, Just to get the guy who doesn't make mistakes. Of course they bet on the wrong horse. in my view with, uh, with uh, Kirk cousins, but I mean, I guess they under, that's an organizational philosophy and I can understand how that would work, but you have to still have a, a, a good quarterback. I mean, quarterbacks are really do are the only thing in the NFL, the one, position in the NFL that changed your franchise and look at how look at the Jets they're in and uh from my view I'm not speaking for Nick Cosmider here um in my view one of the most incompetent organizations I have seen in ages and could potentially have just destroyed Sam Darnold while he was there but look how, how happy they are to get Trevor Lawrence and the fact that he is so good and so guaranteed that they're like you know this is just this is going to fundamentally change the way we ourselves uh approach the rest of our decision making as a franchise yeah well which they had to then when they accidentally won a game that that kind of speaks to their incompetence <laughs> in a way right when they you know when they when they were lining up to get lawrence and then they they uh make the mistake of winning a game but no i like and, and the thing about it is that like if you don't have an elite quarterback in this in this league like as from a fan perspective, you're, you're, you're sort of your wake, your first thought when you wake up and your last thought before you go to bed is like, how do we get to that guy? But if every single year becomes the, about the pursuit of, of that guy and he doesn't pan out, then it, then it ultimately sets you back again and again. What I think makes this year so interesting is if you look at since 2000, since Manning retired uh, in early 2016, the Broncos have tried virtually or have almost tried everything to, to get a franchise type quarterback in, right? right? They, you know, they, they first gave Trevor Simeon a, a, a pretty long look to say, Hey, maybe this is this diamond in the rough guy from the seventh round who, who becomes the next Tom Brady sort of, you know, adjacent, um, you know, that, that didn't work out. They, um, they drafted Paxton Lynch late in the first round. So, uh, so late in the first round, they draft Paxton Lynch. So he's the, he's the, he's the one kind of first round quarterback that John Elway took a crack at. Obviously didn't work out. You try to bring in a guy like Case Keenum who, who came off the big 2017 season and say, okay, this is a, this is an under the radar guy who's just now kind of coming into his own in his career. You know, that didn't work. They tried the, the Joe Flacco kind of stop, stop gap thing where we say this guy still has a couple, couple big years left. And then with Drew Locke, they tried to, t- to take a guy in the second round. They've tried almost everything. The one thing they haven't tried is to draft a top five, top 10 quarterback. And if you just look at the success over the last X amount of years of guys at that position, 
most of them have come for, from that area of, of the draft, the first mm-hmm. two or three or four quarterbacks off the board. And so if, if, if you're looking at it from that perspective, you can kind of say, yeah, that, that might be the reason for the Broncos to get aggressive and say that the, the, the surest way or the closest to surest way, there's no such thing as a sure way to find a franchise quarterback, but, but kind of the better odds say, if you can get up to this top five level, meaning trade up to take the, the Falcon spot at four, the Bengals spot at five, um, you know, maybe that gives them a better chance to find a long-term talented franchise guy than anything else that they've tried to this point. I, th- that's a, that's, I think that would be my philosophy because you got to do what it takes to get that guy. I mean, that really is the, the name of the game in, in my view. It's just, it's like you need to have a superstar in the NBA. You've got to have, uh, if you're not going to get a superstar quarterback, you got to get a good guy. You got to get a guy who's going to be steady as enough to, to, to keep you in the conversation for a long time. And I think that is probably where my disagreement is with a lot of the approaches the Broncos have taken, up to and including this year, because I don't see a lot of movement to get the guy. I see a lot of movement, and at least from reports. I, I mean, this is me not knowing anything. But I see a lot of movement to get a guy and not the guy. And I think that's just if – you're, if you're going to take that approach, you might as well stay with Block another year. and. Yeah. And I, I think it's just a waste of assets if you're going to do that. But once again, maybe that's my NBA brain. You know, no, I, I think I think there, there there's certainly there's certainly a lot to be said for continuously taking high upside swings, and they they involve risk. You know, George Payton is a guy who in Minnesota they often they you know they traded back, they did what they could to accumulate a lot of draft picks and and use those to you know to maneuver to get the players that they wanted. Um, but if, if this year, if he wants to go get a quarterback, he is almost certainly going to have to trade up in this draft. And, uh, but, but look, I mean, the chiefs are always such a good example because they were, they were coming kind of starting to come of age in 2017, right? Alex Smith was playing the best football of his career. Peyton Manning had just retired. So they knew that the AFC West was wide open. They obviously haven't lost the AFC West since Manning retired. Um, but yet given, even though sort of knowing how well Alex Smith was playing, how well he fit with Andy Reid, this idea of like, if you don't, if you don't have a, like an obvious top 10, top five quarterback, you should always in some way be trying to get that guy, you know? And so they move all the way up from 27 to 10, give up the capital required to make such a move. And, you know, the rest is history. They, they have already one of the most talented quarterbacks to play the position, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. They'll be, they'll be good over and over and over again because they have that guy. And, you know, Mahomes wasn't a sure thing. We, you know, there's a reason he fell as far as he did in the draft. You know, people said, oh, it's, you know, these numbers at Texas Tech and like playing this past happy conference, um, you know, that, that maybe there's a lot of smoke to that or, or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, you know how these pre-draft things go. People overthink the heck out of stuff or, or, or ignore too many things. Right. You know, the, the same can be said on that end of it. So that to me would be, again, just this mark for the Broncos of if you're not going to try to take this like big swing and do the one thing you haven't done, which is draft a quarterback in the top 10, well, then, you know, then maybe stick with Drew Locke, make that competition like a, you know, a fourth or fifth round quarterback that you, you know, you hope is a diamond in the rough. And, and then you kind of can come back to, and, and, and try it again next off season. Um, but I just, I think yeah. the thing that is different with George Payton a little bit is I, I just don't think you're going to see a change for changes sake. Like right. th- that's, I think where the Broncos have gotten in trouble in the past is this sort of change just to change. I mean, going from, from Case Keenum to Joe Flacco. I mean, what, what really, what is yeah. that? I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. It's more of the same. So if you're going to change, 
make it a change because you did something new. That, that's, that's my, my thing. So we'll, uh, we'll have to just see how it goes. This next month is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it will be. All right, enough of this Bronco talk. Um, when we come back from our next <laughs> set, I'm going to do a DraftKings read. And, then, and, and when we come back to our next set, we're going to talk about what everyone wants to talk about is your Denver Nuggets. But first, 68 teams started the tournament. Only the best have survived. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting uh, new customers in the center of the action. Bet one dollar on any tournament game and get your and and if your team wins, uh, you win one hundred dollars. It's that simple. Turning one dollar into one hundred dollars is one hundred to one odds. Pick any basketball team that is still in the hunt for your shot at winning one hundred dollars. All it takes is one dollar bet and the team uh, and that team winning their next game. I can read. I promise you. Uh, there is no better way to get to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Nick. We have a Denver Nuggets team that pulled off a, a, a trade. And I, what I want to hear from you um, is your thoughts, because you covered the Nuggets for, for several a couple of years, it's when you saw the Aaron Gordon trade, when you just on a thousand foot view, um, what was your initial reaction to it? I was uh, kind of like elated that the exchange ended up being not as pricey, I guess, in a manner of speaking, than I thought it would be. Everyone loves Gary Harris and, and the entire team loves Gary Harris. Um, and the team, the team really did not want to give up RJ Hampton, but in the grand scheme of things, along with that first round pick, it's not a ton to give up for a guy that really you can plug and play. Yeah. And look, I, I think that the number one thing that, that I thought is, you know, the nuggets right now in this, in this season are, I think as ready as they've ever been to try to really go pursue a championship. And so if they went, if they went to this trade through this trade deadline and didn't do anything to make themselves better in pursuit of that, it would have been a failure. Right. Um, and, and they didn't fail. They made themselves clearly better. I mean, just, just look at it in a vacuum. Aaron Gordon now becomes your starting four over either Paul Millsap or um, J J Michael Green or whoever right. else. Like they, They've added a player who is clearly better than what they had, arguably even a better fit than what Jeremy Grant was. Um, right. and, and we know how badly they wanted Jeremy Grant back this off season, which, you know, excited some didn't really excite others. Um, it, it was a no brainer that they had to do something that made their team better. And I think they did it in a way that, that really fits. And the early impression I have of Aaron Gordon is he's, he's in, he's in on this. Like he seems to really like be pretty like stoked about this idea of like, Oh damn, we are, we're competing for something like this is right. fun. This is fun to go to the gym and like, we're here, you know, swinging for big things and we're not playing out the string like he did for so many years in Orlando to where even if they were, you know, climbing for one of the bottom spots in the Eastern Conference playoffs, all that came with was the joy of, of getting squashed by the Raptors in the first round or whoever it might have been. This is, this is different. And he seems just from very early impressions of, of, of seeing him speak and then watching him play against the Hawks, like 
he seems to be into it. And, you know, that, that, that's really kind of just where you have to start. Well, in a matter of speaking, and, and this is just something I only in hindsight, can you kind of make this, at least on my part, make this kind of um, mental leap is that I think in, in, a, in a roundabout way, Jeremy Grant leaving got the Nuggets the better match. I can tell you for a fact when um, uh, the draft workouts were going on in 2014, uh, several Nuggets front office executives expressed a lot of uh, liking of Aaron Gordon. And the Nuggets weren't in a position. They knew he, that he was going to go before them. Um, but because I think they were selecting uh, – that was the that was the Nurkic and the uh, Harris Nurkic, here. Harris first round, yeah, and, and Gordon went fourth. He was yeah, he was well off the board by the time they came. Right, and they were very like they were like this guy is like really we like his skill set, and he kind of languished in in Orlando in a sense that I think they were asking him to be a lot more than he was ever destined to be. Uh, Matt Moore has made the comparison of uh, him to Sean Marion. Um. I can see that uh, he's he's a little more beefy than Marion was, but he's uh, he certainly has. I mean, you would be very familiar with Sean Marion uh, growing up in Arizona. So, yeah. do you yeah, see yeah. do you see that correlation there with uh, Sean Marion and uh, Aaron Gordon? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Marion was a guy who, um, you know, he he was. He, I don't think he would have been the Matrix everywhere else. He was in a place where he, his sort of unique skill set, his his ability to to run the floor, to be a cutter, to play off the ball, uh, to hit open shots, to defend. Um, it fit in the ecosystem of what the Suns were trying to do really well. And just sort of this early impression of Gordon is that like Michael Porter Jr., he has the physical tools um, in sort of package that would make him an elite cutter, an elite off the ball player who, if you like so buys into that role, the way that we've started to see Porter do more and more this year, right. um, there there's there's spoils to go around like that that's one thing with this offense is like if you if you sacrifice this idea that like i'm going to get a bunch of isolation possessions or you know i'm going to get x amount of touches per game like you're going to look in the box score at the end of the game and say like man i didn't even really feel like i had to have the ball in my hands all that often and look i got you know i got 15 8 and 4 like just by basically just like running the floor and by moving around Nikola Jokic um you know he Gordon said after the game against the Hawks like he makes it so easy it's it's funny when new guys come into um the Nuggets we've seen it a lot over the last few years where you're just like you know wow which which made sort of the the thing interesting that he and Grant never really fit that well together in in terms of that whereas Gordon I think you know in, in you know just in this small sample size we've had definitely seems like he's embracing that relationship and and understanding what that relationship is which is you know he's the guy um I'll do whatever I need to do to maximize this like unique talent that that Jokic has and 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 in turn will make will make me kind of a really effective player in my role uh and that's what you have to have in a championship formula you you have to have guys that yeah maybe I could do more on a different team um but I'm going to be like really elite in this role here um, and again, it, it's the honeymoon period now, right? Like we got to see how it goes when some adversity hits, but, um, yeah, so far so good. Well, um, I, this kind of leads me to, um, the penultimate question for me, but is there a, when you, when you were last covering the nuggets and you left last season, um, prior to just prior to the, 
uh, shutdown, right? It was like a month. I, yeah, I was. I, I still was covering the Nuggets. Like Kendra and I were both covering the Nuggets. Um, yeah. Kind of after the shutdown into the summer, and then when Nikki Javala left for the Washington Post, I want to say it was around July, early July. Um, that's when they moved me over to the Broncos beat. Um, so, right. but that being said, was still definitely like helping and contributing during their bubble run. But yeah, that's that's kind of when I like went off of off of the Nuggets from like a day to day full time basis was about last July. Well, let me let me add, pose a question to you uh, in that vein. Um, at the, as of the time you left, did you envision um, what what kind of role did you envision for Michael Porter Jr.? Um, because this year, as soon as Grant left, I've, I've been saying this a lot. As soon as Grant left, this year became all about Michael Porter Jr. Uh, just because they they're going to have to put him in a situation where he's uncomfortable, or Michael Malone was uncomfortable, or maybe Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were uncomfortable to in order to get him to a place to where he contributes in a big way. Uh, looking at this from like your once again the thousand foot view, and you look at Michael Porter Jr., do you think he is on a trajectory where you maybe envisioned him going, or has it taken a more circuitous route? You know, I I think that for the most part, it's it's gone the way that it seemed like it was trending during that bubble, where he understood just how valuable he could be if he you know played a certain role and you know, that's maybe come at the sacrifice of him, you know, developing into kind of this, you know, look, if, if he was in a situation where he had gotten picked with one of the top five, you know, picks, and again, like, we're far enough removed now where I, I think, you know, some teams who saw a medical report that said this guy's got maybe three years in the league, you know, right. and we will have to continue to see what the wear and tear does, how, how he holds up. But like, you know, if I think if teams saw what, what he's already shown, like if they saw this with him, he would have been picked in the top five. Mm-hmm. And if he had, he would have been a guy who his usage would be high. You know, he probably wouldn't be as efficient, but he'd still be putting up huge numbers and he'd be talked about as one of the best young players in the game. He's had to sacrifice that, uh, the sort of that status, if you will, in order to be a guy who plays third third fiddle on a very good team. And, and that any given night, third fiddle is first fiddle yeah. the way that they play right um so i but i i did so i i kind of saw that i thought the big thing to me was you know hey can he and jamal murray really get on the same page can nikola Jokic uh and he sort of create this understanding of the way that they want to play together right. you know whether it's how they you know orchestrate off ball movement how they play in the pick and roll whatever the case might be all three of those guys were going to have to come together and i thought it was really interesting when tim Conley said on friday like that those two have embraced the big brother role with Michael Porter Jr. I've seen that more this year mm-hmm. um, than I think I saw late last year and even going into the bubble. Um, and, and and it just seems to be a lot more harmonious. Now we are, we're more removed, you know, yeah. unfortunately from the team than ever because of the pandemic, right. but like from the outside perspective, it seems like that's a more harmonious relationship. And that to me was always as big of a deal in terms mm-hmm. of Michael Porter's development than his actual sort of growth and improvement as a player, if that makes sense. I, I think right. that all had to come together because um, I'm with you. I, I think that this season had to be about that. Um, it, if it's not been the number one storyline, it's been, you know, number one storyline has been Nikola Jokic. I don't think we, we didn't, we didn't expect that to be the storyline, right? That he was going right. to be a favorite to win the MVP award. Um, but Porter is, is right up there. Now Aaron Gordon ha- has come into that mix that there's a lot of great storylines. Jamal starting slow again. And then, you know, doing what he does um, uh-huh, right. over the last 25 games. He's been as good as any, any guard in the league, really. Um, so it, it's just been, I, I think, fascinating 
to, to see how, how it's all kind of come together. And again, that's what you have to have with a championship team. I, th- I thought that uh, JaVale McGee said it interestingly. Um, everything has to go right. Even if you looked at the Lakers and said they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like they're going to win it. Like you still have to have so many things go right to, to win a championship. And, and especially if you're, if you don't have a LeBron James, you, you, you have to hit on everything. And, you know, the, it'll to, it's to be seen whether the Nuggets can do that. But I, I think a lot of the things that had to come together in order for them to have a chance, you're starting to see signs that they are. Well, uh, in that vein, and you brought it up, and uh, this will be the last thing for me, and thank you for coming on. Um, oh, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Um, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to, to have you on. I've known you for quite a while, and uh, this, right. is, this is the first time you've been on the Morecast. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, <laughs> but let me just throw this out there. Um, Nikola Jokic, the NBA MVP? I think so. Uh, I, I think he is. Uh, and – you know, you, you could have the knock for a while that the Nuggets weren't winning enough. And that's, that was the reality. Um, but they're, you know, they're right there at the four five level, um, you know, fighting for home court in the first round of the playoffs. Um, to me, that, that, that's enough to pass that barrier, right? That That's enough winning in my right. mind to, to justify, to justify that. And I just don't think there's anybody who brings more value on a night to night basis in so many different ways uh, than Nicola does. Joel Embiid was having a heck of a season. I thought for a while those two were were neck and neck. But again, this is this is one thing that's gone underrated about Nikola Jokic's uh, during his career is his absolute availability. The guy is always on the floor. Um, he always is doing whatever is needed from him to win, adjusting his game in whatever manner necessary. And this is this year has been the ultimate manifestation of all those things. And I just you know again I, I think there's there's so many players playing so well. Um, you know, but, but I just think the consistency with it, the fact that the Nuggets are winning, um, you know, his just absolute ability to beat you in whatever way is required um, and, and his, his sort of embrace of, of putting a team on his shoulders and finding another gear when we all, when I, there's been so many years with Nikola Jokic, I'm like, how can he get better? And, and that's, I think a true mark of his, of his greatness is that he finds a way to do that. And um, he's just, you know, he's brought in it all this year. I, he, he would have my vote. Definitely, I would have mine, uh, and I think that uh, it's it's a shame that the Nuggets, uh, until this next Thursday, uh, uh, this Thursday, I should say, they this has been over a month since they've been on national TV. Yeah, and I think that has definitely hurt Nikola Jokic's MVP thing, just because people just don't see him. And you would think with with league pass that people would like. Uh, watch these games but i mean unless these games are on national tv greater majority of people just don't watch and i I will yeah no i agree with you i will say this though like we see like the the morning talk show circuit on espn or you know the 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 popular talk radios um segments that that, kind of get aggregated and and talk about you know top five mvp candidates and Jokic doesn't make those lists that that's you know not ideal for, for this perspective but i will say that like writers have over the last several years, the writers who cover the league, the writers that get votes um, have viewed Nikola Jokic highly. I mean, yeah. you, you go back to him winning first team all NBA two years ago, right? Right. Uh, over NB. Um, and I, if I recall, it was a pretty, pretty convincing it was. win for him in that yep. slot. Right. Mm-hmm. Much to the chagrin of, of people on the, you know, in those big markets who said, you know, right. look, Embiid who plays in Philly like that was the guy but Mm -hmm. so I I do think I do think that is is one thing to keep in mind is that writers I think have viewed 
Nikola Jokic favorably throughout his career. And so the fact that this guy who's kind of been, you know, a darling of that, like those who view the game in a really analytical sense, um, which is a lot of these writers who have votes, um, he he is really going to kind of, I think, be, um, I, I don't think, I, I, what I'll say is I don't think that the noise nationally that doesn't include him as much as he should be, I don't think that that's going to permeate through the, you know, the actual voting body of the MVP award. So that's the hope anyway. I I hope you're right. Because I I think uh, what he did carrying this Nuggets team through, yeah, the record wasn't great, but man, this team could have gone into the abyss with, uh, with, if he wasn't there and really just willing them to, to just, do what he could just by the sheer force of his ability um, is quite amazing to me. And I think that's one of the more underappreciated aspects of uh, Nikola Jokic this year is the, the nuggets could have gone down a spiral and they didn't. And I think a lot of the reasons they they held together was because of him. Yeah, so. he was. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, and if, if he hadn't come, if, if he had come, maybe like I thought, like, you know, he, like the rest of them just wasn't quite ready. Like they could have been buried. They could have been right now just scratching, clawing, like to, to get a favorable spot in the play in tournament. Um, and, and if you, you let that, you get into that and then you lose and you don't make it like they, they could have, this whole thing could have gone in like a really different direction. Right. And he, he prevented that from being the case. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Okay. Well, th- uh, thank you, Nick, for joining me on your debut on the Mortcast. Uh, 10 years of doing this. This is the first <laughs> time I've had a Cosmiter on here, but I hope to have you on here so- uh, again soon. We will talk about the Broncos uh, more ex- extensively then. Uh, could you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, right now um, you can sign on to The Athletic for a dollar. So mm. um, just go find me on Twitter at Nick Cosmiter. Click on any story that I've shared on, on that Twitter account. And uh, yeah, you can sign up for a buck uh, until April 5th. So great way to, to kind of get all, all of our content, obviously the Broncos, but any team you like, the athletic covers uh, every team out there in a deep way. So um, yeah, go check it out. And everybody go follow Nick on Twitter. He's a great follow and he got, writes great uh, nugget stories too, when he gets a chance. So go ahead and follow Nick <laughs> and uh, sign up for the athletic for a dollar. I'm I've been an athletic subscriber for a long time now. So uh, I don't miss any Nick Cosmiter uh, articles and, and you should be the same. So anyway, thank you all for joining us on the latest broadcast. I'll talk to you later.